Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Let me check in with my producer, Brian Hanson. Brian, uh, Chuck Basie, uh, state representative, is is not in the studio. Any he is idea? not, yeah. He's, We're, well, he took a little um, leave of absence, I guess you would say. He went to, to the uh, Burning Man Festival. And decided to stay an extra two weeks? <laughs> yeah. I think so, yeah. I see. All right, well, hopefully... He's kind of closing it down. Yeah, helping to, helping to <laughs> fold it all up. But... But we do have in the studio Garson from uh, Graffs in Mexico, Missouri, and he is joined by Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. And gentlemen, I have a question for you. And this probably more directly goes to Dale than anything else. There's a, uh, an editorial by Robert Sadowski at uh, The Armory Life dealing with uh, what uh, would be reasonable force. And what it really is. Uh, he writes, a petite woman whacks her 250-pound bodybuilding boyfriend with a rolled-up yoga mat. He shoves her into the apartment wall. Is that response uh, an application of reasonable force? How about it? How about if she calls him a lousy, good-for-nothing name, and he grabs her by the throat, shoves her up against the wall, feet dangling? Is it reasonable, then, that she pulls out a pistol from the small of her back and keeps pulling the trigger until he lets go of her throat? Was that a reasonable and necessary application of force? Anybody who carries a firearm knows the moment you use it for self-defense, hopefully that's the only time you use it, you, you know, you're going to be heading for some real legal deep water. So, Dale, she started this. She smacked him with her rolled up yoga mat. That made him respond, and it escalated from there, and she ends up shooting him. Is she really at fault here, or is he? So they're probably going to look at that first uh, use of force. If, if you use a firearm to defend yourself, but you do so when you were committing a crime, you use it, it when you were committing a felony, then you don't have the legal right to defend yourself. I mean, you've started a criminal act, uh, you know, a more clear case. If I try and carjack somebody, they pull a gun, I pull a gun and shoot them and say, well, I was defending myself. <laughs> no, you you were committing a crime. That's, that's all bets are off. So they'll look at that and go, okay, when she hit him the first time, what was that? Was that just a, she just smacked him or did he have fear for his safety and go into self-defense mode. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was Garson's yoga mat, by the way, that she used. But <laughs> but I wondered it, where that went. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just a yoga mat, I and mean, it's rolled up. I mean, how much damage uh, does he then have the right to shove her against the wall like that, or should he grab his own yoga mat? Uh, did he escalate this beyond what it would have been? These these are really tough problems. Uh, if you use your firearm, you've got to you've got to know in advance uh, what what you believe uh, in terms of reasonable response. Absolutely true, and that's of course we always talk about the importance of getting good training. And you know, once and done is not enough. I have friends who got their permit you know ten years ago and have been asking me do a class just on update on the law because we know things are, have changed and we're not lawyers. We can't keep up. But 
uh, you know, as far as his reaction, if if someone threatens me and I have a reasonable fear of imminent bodily harm, serious physical injury, I have a right to defend myself. So the question is, well, the person who who threatened you, my ex-wife is a petite woman who teaches ballet and she's physically strong, but I'm not sure she's strong in a way that I could say, oh, I feared for my, for my life. I feared for serious bodily harm. Garson, on the other hand, is my size or better. And I, I could make the case that, that, you know, I'm much older. I'm a disabled veteran. I really thought Garson was going to hurt me. Therefore, I was justified in using force, deadly force, to defend myself against him. So it can be very, very tricky. Uh, and and it, 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 it should be the very last resort. And I was just going to say, and that's why we find that most people who have a firearm and have gone through training end up being very safety conscious people. We don't walk down alleyways. You know, we don't we don't put ourselves in positions where that kind of a situation may arise. We're much more risk averse. Yeah. Uh, Carson, for some reason, the media don't see us that way. They see us as wanting to be John Wayne walking in to shoot up the bad guy all the time. When, in fact, what Dale said, I think, is right, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I will concede that there are probably a small number of concealed carry holders that, you know, have some kind of hero complex or, or you know, have this mindset that, you know, if something ever like this happens, they're going to be the hero. And, you know, if they're willing to take, take the responsibility for their actions, I guess more power to them. But my my first priority for myself is escape and evade, um, and do not do not use deadly force until I'm backed into a corner. Yeah, talk your way out of it. Do whatever you can to. Uh, and, and and you know the other thing, using that yoga mat uh, uh, analogy, if I have a firearm with me, that is not something I'm not going to bring out. You know, I'm not going to slap or punch or hit anybody. Because I know it could escalate. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm carrying a firearm. I don't want that to happen. Yeah, well, and this, this, this relationship that these two people had seems like it was probably abusive to begin with if, if small things like this escalate and something like this. It's, it's tricky, and it is worth uh, taking updated classes, trying to find out what the law is. By the way, uh, Dale, your friends are asking you to do an updated class. Are you going to? Yes, I, it's on the back burner. I'm trying to... Put it together. His age has given him problems with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that and the fact that he's never been able to get it together before. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little hard to, to, to suddenly change his ways. All right. Uh, so anyway, that is something worth considering if you're a concealed carry permit holder. I don't think we can get through this program without talking about Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> um, I, uh, I read a humorous uh, story at the Babylon Bee that the uh, governor is so upset with all the press coverage about her gun ban that she's going to ban the First Amendment, too. <laughs> um, I mean, th aren't they trying that already? Yes. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. She used uh, a health emergency to try to ban concealed carry and open carry uh, for uh, residents and, and visitors in Albuquerque. And she really did get 
she got ridiculed. Uh, the courts didn't particularly agree with her either. Um, the, the logic escapes me, Garson. The, the logic of bad guys are shooting people, so let's tell good guys not to be armed. That that just seems so wrong on the on the surface. Oh yeah, completely. But I mean, that's not what their goal is. Their goal is to disarm everybody to make us all, you know, mindless little yes men. I I have this image, Dale, of gangs and drug dealers going, oh, geez, uh, I guess we can't carry an Albuquerque this week. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know they did. <laughs> the governor says we can't do that. It's, uh, you know, yeah, we'll not even trouble. a law, but, you know, we'll just... Yeah. If we're going to go rob a bank or uh, shoot up a place, uh, we don't want to violate the law by carrying a gun. Heaven forbid. But, and, you know, what she did is such one-dimensional thinking, you know, knee-jerk reaction that, you know, people are being harmed. There are criminals out there with guns, so I'll ban the guns. Like, well, how do you think that's going to work? You know, do you think issuing an edict that says you can't have guns is going to make criminals stop it's just you didn't think this through at all well yeah. that's what i'm saying it's not that they care about the criminals having guns it's this is an opportunity for them to further gun control regardless of the cost of human life on the side of the honest everyday american citizen and what worries me is the maybe maybe bigger picture that this keeps happening in you know, St. Louis is trying. Kansas City, you know, municipalities think, you know, yes, we've read the Bruin decision about the Second Amendment rights, but we're going to violate them anyway. And they get slapped down, and they go, okay, we'll we'll try and violate them some other way. But it takes up time and resources, well, and effort from and, us. Yeah, from the very true. If Ex I'm the bad, guy, if I'm the bad guy, and I see this edict coming down from the governor I'm thinking I am definitely going to go out and take some revenge on anybody I want. Oh, open season. Yeah. yeah. I've just disarmed all the all the honest people. <laughs> it's just so pathetically stupid. How do you get there? I don't know. Alright, we are up against the clock uh, so we're going to take a quick break and uh, if you want in, you can go to GaryNolan.com send me a message. It'll pop up here in studio. Or you can call us at 800-529-5572. It's Gary on Guns. Welcome. It is Gary on Guns. I'm your host, Gary Nolan. And in studio, Garson is in from Graf's in Mexico, Missouri. Boy, if you're into reloading, there is nobody better. And they have uh, customers all over the world. And they're right there in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, also, they've got uh, pistols, shotguns, rifles, ammunition, targets. You name it, they've got it. Also in studio, Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. Let's talk Hunter Biden. <laughs> I got, uh, this is like a, you know the old joke about mixed emotions? It's uh, your mother-in-law going over the cliff in your new car. <laughs> Hunter Biden being indicted on gun laws that I think are unconstitutional. Right, good point. There, There is this part of this that I think is not questionable, uh, and that is he made a sworn statement. He lied under oath, but it's for a, uh, a law that 
really shouldn't exist. Part of me is exuberant. I'm glad. He, he's, they're doing to him what they've done to so many other uh, people who've purchased firearms. It's, it's about time. Uh, and what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And on the other hand, it's like, yeah, this shouldn't have happened at all. So mixed emotions. I'll start with Garson. Garson, should I be happy? Should you be happy? Should we be celebrating that he's getting what everybody else is getting? Or should we be ruining the day that somebody else got caught up in a law that's unconstitutional? I, I'm not happy about this. I, I think this is dumb, con considering all the other things that he's been doing. This is this is small potato BS, and we, we really shouldn't be wasting our time on it. They should be going after him for the larger corruption and money laundering schemes that he seems to be involved in. Well, the, the prosecutor could go after him for this without having to worry that it's going to spill over to his father. Uh, and I think sure, that's and why. I think that's, yeah, exactly why they're doing this, because they're, they're showing that they're punishing him or willing to punish him on something that's almost inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. I want to point out, because I keep hearing this, well, Donald Trump appointed this prosecutor. He did so at the behest of the Democrats in that state. And well, this guy... And I, I find that to be stupid anyway, because if you're appointing good judges, they should be blind to political waverings at all. So I, I don't really... I mean, if, they, if, they're, if they're supposed to be doing that job, they should be doing it blind of any political affiliation. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I, the implication in the mainstream media is he must be a Republican and a conservative, and even he uh, isn't going after Hunter Biden, when in reality he's not a Republican, not a conservative, and was only there because the Democrats in the state, and they dominate the state. Yeah, well, and uh, you, can, you can see by looking at the Missouri legislature, not all of us agree on everything either. Yeah, so. uh, <laughs> that's, that's certainly true. Uh, anyway, uh, let me uh, turn this over to Dale. Should I be ecstatic or should I be depressed that somebody else got caught up in a stupid law that shouldn't exist? Yes. Thank that's, you. That's a lawyer answer. Yes. Yes. Uh, clear uh, as mud. Well, uh, well, it, well whether, whether the law is there or not, whether it's legal, doesn't matter because, you know, the machine gun ban shouldn't be a law. But I'm not in my basement making machine guns. Shh. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> If you don't like the law, fight it, but don't break it. And that's the problem I have with a lot of these people. Well, I don't agree with that law, so I'm not going to follow it. That's not the way it works. If you don't like it, change it, work to change it, but don't violate it. And it's interesting you say that because, I, I mean, you all know I'm a pretty law and order kind of guy. And I feel the same way. You know, just because a law is unconstitutional, unless I'm in the process of I've lined up my attorney and we're going to have a test case um, you don't just to get you don't get to just violate the law, and I think it goes all the way back. I think Abraham Lincoln was the one that said the best way to get rid of a bad law is to strictly enforce it, because when it's enforced against everybody and everyone sees what a bad law it is, then there's pressure on the legislature to to change it. But you know, one of the things that got to me as I read the indictment on Hunter Biden is count one. He provided a, a written statement that's untrue. He said, you know, evidently he put on the 4473, I'm not an illegal drug user. So count one, we're going to charge him with that crime. And then count two, 
he signed the application saying that it's true. So he signed an application saying that the previous violation was true. And so that's that's another violation. It's like, well, wait a minute. That those are stacking. Yeah, exactly. Two offenses for one crime. You know, double your money, double your fun. Um but, you know, I heard somebody say the other day... Well, I, that's a separate crime because you're, you're, you're signing a federal form and you're declaring that form to be filled out right. true. So that's in and of itself a different thing because it's a different act than the use of the drugs. True. But, well, isn't that swearing under oath and, and committing perjury? Uh, yes. Uh, and that's sort of what count two was, is they're saying he provided a written trait... The written statement, uh, his signature, saying that everything on this form is true and it's not, and that's that is a form of ver of perjury. Um, and then the last one, you know, count three, of course, was he's a he's a drug user in possession of a firearm, and that's the underlying issue that we've been talking about. That already some federal courts, after the Bruin decision, have said that law is unconstitutional. That wasn't in place in 1791. Um, so it's not part of our history and tradition. It's an unconstitutional law, and that'll be tested. Um, puts Biden, President Biden, in an awkward spot, perhaps. Um, but there we are. Yeah, the the gun control presidents uh, got a son who violated the gun control laws he advocates for, and is now going to use the anti-gun control argument. <laughs> to protect him. I mean, uh, that that is between a rock and a hard place. Oh, yeah. And it, you almost have to wonder just what side of this issue the president's going to fall on. Let me go around the table very quickly here, and uh, I'll, I'll start with Garson. If he is found guilty, do you think the president will ultimately pardon him in spite of saying, no, he won't? I don't think he can. I don't, I don't think he... I mean, I... I guarantee that's what he wants to do, but I don't think, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. I, th I think he's got he's going to have enough people telling him not to that he won't. There are some other implications for Donald Trump in this question. L let me uh, let me turn this to Dale. Do you think he ultimately pardons him? Well, I, I think first you have to ask: Will he remember? <laughs> <laughs> who is? Well, I've got a son. Who? His, yeah, I was going to say: Will he remember who his son is? He doesn't remember who his grandkids are. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I kind of doubt it, but uh, all right. Here's here's the thing: if he ends up with a prison sentence, if he's found guilty, and they say, you know, uh, two years in prison, I think he gets pardoned. I don't, I you know, I don't think he's going to let his son go there. But there's another problem because I believe his son is getting Secret Service protection. Oh, yes, like Donald Trump. Quick They'd break. all have to go to prison together. <laughs> a special prison bill. Gary Nolan. Uh, Gary on gun. Talking about, in the last segment of the program, talking about Hunter Biden's legal woes with regard to his purchase of a firearm and lying on the Knicks check. And it looks as though he is going to use the Bruin decision to defend himself. And he should. I mean, he, 
right as, as much as I, I'm not a fan of Hunter Biden, um, but in this case, he absolutely should use that, and it's an I think it's a perfectly appropriate defense. This is going to be interesting to watch unfold. Uh, and I think that he really does have an opportunity here to challenge what the Democrats have been advocating for years and years. And by the way, and, and my, this is my position on the Knicks check. I'll go around the table on this. But I don't think the Knicks check does a damn thing. I don't think it really stops violent crime. I don't think it really adds anything to, to safety. I think bad guys just steal guns and the good guys you know at best they can they can be slowed down by this and I also don't think the government has a right to know what you purchase I don't care if it's uh, your clothes or your food or your firearm that's not the federal government's job but they have a right to keep track of my Sudafed <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, the, this war on drugs thing is a lot like the, the war on guns. And people don't quite understand it. They, people on our side of the issue understand that prohibiting guns doesn't protect anybody. In fact, uh, it makes people, uh, it puts them in greater danger. It's a greater threat. But what they don't get is that the war on drugs does the same thing. It puts people in greater danger, and there are more threats uh, to their lives. They get one, they don't get the other. I don't know, cognitive dissonance? I, I'm not sure what. But we, we can go out and buy a fifth of whiskey and still buy a firearm. Exactly. And you can own a firearm. So why would you say marijuana, for instance, should prohibit the purchase of a firearm? I don't know. Doesn't make sense. Not at all. Eight. Uh, if you uh, want in on the conversation, eight hundred five two nine five five seven two, or go to GaryNolan uh, dot com and send me a message. It will pop up in studio. So, so Gary, I, I, I getting back on Hunter's case. If he uses the bite or the Bruin decision. Uh, in his defense and is successful, the thing that worries me is that people won't look at that and say, see there, you know, Bruin decision is correct and the, the government regulation was unconstitutional. They'll look at it and go, see there, the president's son got off. And, and I, I think in a way, you know, we lose the opportunity to reinforce the fact that that regulation was unconstitutional and the Bruin decision is a brilliant, well-reasoned, well-researched uh, decision. Um, that's just me, and that's just that one case. So you think they're going to miss the boat entirely? You think they, they are so lacking in perspicacity across the country that they will just not get it? Sure, surely not. Don't tell me there's gambling going on here. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that. Oh, boy. Uh, all right. Let's move on. There are a couple of other cases that you have been looking at. Uh, tell me what, uh, Dale, you've been uh, you've been uh, studying. You know, I keep a spreadsheet, and it's hard to keep up. Um, Post-Bruin. I mean, the Bruin decision has been out about 15 months now. Uh, the Bruin decision from the U.S. Supreme Court basically said 
if a regulation was in place at the same time the Second Amendment came into effect, which is basically 1791, then that regulation is part of our history and it's co probably constitutional. And if not, it's not. And so federal courts following this, what the Supreme Court has, has said, for example, have, have looked at the prohibition on having marijuana and guns. And, you know, possession of marijuana while you have possession of a firearm is a felony. And the courts have said, you know, the prohibition on possession of marijuana with a firearm was certainly not in place in 1791. In fact, that, that law didn't come into effect until 1968. It's not a part of our history and tradition. So the, the, maybe one of the more recent cases, um, uh, federal court in Virginia, Virginia had banned sale of, well, actually federal law, bans sale of handguns to somebody from 18, 19, and 20, that age group. And a federal court in Virginia said that's unconstitutional. That There was no such ban on sale of firearms um, or, I guess, handguns, whatever form they took in the 1700s. There, there was no such law in 1791. Um, and it's unconstitutional. The court that issued that decision applied it nationwide, but then the judge stayed the decision, so it's not in effect yet, uh, stayed the decision pending appeal. Um, but the courts have, as I said, you know, federal courts have said the law against possession of fair, uh, marijuana and firearm, unconstitutional. The law that says someone who's been charged with uh, domestic abuse but not yet convicted can't have a gun, unconstitutional. Uh, Hawaii's law, this was really interesting, Hawaii's law against possession of butterfly knives and the federal court said that's a weapon, it's covered by the Second Amendment and that prohibition against possessing butterfly laws or butterfly knives is unconstitutional. Um, you know, on and so on. So what does that do for switchblades? I think the same thing. I mean, that, that case hasn't come up yet, but you know, the logic is pretty clear that there was no law against possession of switchblades in se that I know of in 1791 um, or probably until what, maybe the 1960s, 1950s um, and you know, I have a list here, I don't know, five or ten more cases where the court, federal courts all around the country uh, you know, the requirement of having a serial number on a firearm a federal court has looked at that and said, we didn't have serial numbers in 1791. That's an unconstitutional law. And Well, and manufacturers started doing that on their own before that was a regulation yeah, for their own it's just like purposes. an inventory yeah. thing. But, so, Missouri's got some knife laws. So, would that make all those? Moot. Yep. Okay. Yep. And kind of in a, in a good news, um, a federal court, yesterday or the day before came down on a case um, where, you know, weeks or months ago, federal court said that's that, that firearm restriction is unconstitutional. And yesterday or the day before, federal court in a different district issued a decision and said, no, we think that requirement is constitutional. And the reason that's good news is... Goes to the Supremes. Yes. Now that there's a circuit split, you know, if all the circuits keep saying the same thing, then there's no reason for the case to go up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which would be ideal to get a final decision. Now that the Tenth Circuit has ruled against the Fire uh, Second Amendment Act, 
Second Amendment, um, it's it's poised for someone to take it up to the Supreme Court and say, we have a circuit split. Tenth Circuit says no. Fifth Circuit says yes. Hey, Supreme Court, we need guidance. We need you to issue a decision. So there's just so much going on in the legal front. It's As I said, I've never had to have spreadsheets before to keep track of what's happening. Well, if you have any questions about laws written in the 1700s, just ask my producer. He was around then. (laughs) Brian can tell you. Poor Brian. Yeah. What would you like to know? I can help you with just about anything. Never mind. (laughs) We did not allow the sale of cannons, regardless of what you had heard. (laughs) What I think a lot of people don't understand is the Founding Fathers wanted us to be so well-armed that the government was afraid of us. That's we were supposed to be what you know the, the 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 way to keep the government in check. And the great the, the, so the interesting twist on that. I have a you know I love my friends even if they even if we disagree on important issues. I have a really dear friend who has said he understands the Second Amendment. It's there so that we can protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. And he has said, therefore, you, I think you should be allowed to have fully automatic weapons. I think you should be allowed to have bazookas. But I don't think you should be allowed to have handguns because a handgun's not really going to do you any good in a fight against a tyrannical government. And I actually see his law. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I see it's a strange twisted logic from a person who's liberal and anti-gun to say, I think you should have machine guns, but I don't think you should have handguns. Well, then why did they issue the military? Uh, why did they issue handguns? Right. To everybody? Absolutely. Right. There, you know, I remember a story about a guy in Vietnam who had, uh, uh, I think, a 1911 and, uh, and the uh, military version of the AR-15. And he was walking through the jungle and he was confronted by three or four Viet Cong and he dropped his rifle and used his pistol uh, because it was easier at those distances to shoot. Sure. And he prevailed. Absolutely. And it would have been, you know, I went on active duty in in January or February of 77. Um, and back then, basic training, the handgun we trained on was 1911. They had Colt 1911s by the thousands, and that was, just, and especially as a corpsman, as a medic, that was a weapon we were issued. Well, we've got a lot more ground to cover, and you've also uh, written a little piece here about the uh, the path of uh, emergency rule uh, with regard to what happened in New Mexico. And I, I really don't like emergency rule and, and governments, local or otherwise, that abuse this. I, I'm not sure if it all has to go away or not. We'll kind of kick that around for a few minutes. we got show and tell coming up. It's Gary on Guns. Welcome. It is Gary on Guns, and I'm pleased to tell you that Dale Roberts is with us. Uh, MoGunLaw.com. He's uh, joined in studio by Garson. And it, and and frankly, uh, we are, we're sadly missing... Our favorite Second Amendment gun show co-host, or tri-host, or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know where Chuck Basie... Uh, you know, Brian, with what we're paying the man, he should be here. That's true, yeah. <laughs> he, he's getting paid? Hey. He is. We pay him what he's worth. 
<laughs> no, we can't do that. Minimum wage folks sent us a nasty letter and said we're, that's against the law. Anyway, uh, Garson is in from Graphs, and we were talking uh, about uh, some things that uh, Dale was looking into. One of them is emergency powers that sometimes legislators use to pass laws. And I, I don't like that they get these special special laws, uh, special powers, because there is so often a knee-jerk reaction, and it's so often wrong. And that's what they were doing in New Mexico. That's what the governor was doing. It was a knee-jerk reaction uh, and a power she was given. And she, Go ahead. Well, sorry, but one of the things that came to mind immediately when I heard about, you know, what's going on in New Mexico was the fact that some years ago in Missouri, um, and it may have been Brian, Brian Munzlinger or Jeannie Riddle, one of our solid legislators uh, proposed a bill and it passed so that Missouri has a state law that says in a declared emergency, you cannot take firearm or restrict firearms rights in the state of Missouri, you know, because of what happened in uh, New, Orleans. New Orleans when they said, you know, oh, my gosh, it's a hurricane. Everybody put yeah. your guns away. Um, and so Missouri has a very, you know, a nice statute that specifically says, I don't care if it is an emergency, if we have bad tornadoes or earthquakes, uh, you cannot use emergency powers to take to restrict Second Amendment rights. Yeah. Um, and if we have, for instance, a surge of uh, ocean water because global climate change has moved the coast up to... <laughs> New Mexico. All right, never mind. Arkansas, yeah. Yeah, uh, that uh, that wouldn't hold up. Yeah, I don't like those emergency decree powers. I, I think they need to be constrained. I think you've got millions of people each doing what they think is best for them, and I think that works out best for everybody. We we got we to gotta talk about what's going on with firearms dealers, and Garson... I was just reading a story about how there there was a, a firearms dealer that was being shut down by the ATF, and apparently it, it got reversed. Uh, the, the I think it was Gun Owners of America, probably everybody else in, in the world, too, that's a Second Amendment supporter, uh, went out and, and filed amicus briefs and, and turned things around. Just how tricky is it today as a dealer versus, say, five years ago? Uh, it's it's about the same. I think they've just stepped up enforcement. Um, so the, the requirements that we're required to follow haven't really changed. But things that may have just been a warning or a, hey, you need to fix this, are now being used as grounds for more revocation of your license in some of these in a lot of these instances that we're seeing in the increased scrutiny of the ATF. So, you know, stuff that, stuff that you not, so there, there's about two different ways that it, uh, two ways an inspection can go if something's wrong. The ATF agent there on site will tell you, hey, we found these errors. This is how you fix them. You need to do this, this, and this. And then you make the corrections to your paperwork and then you go on about your business and try not to make those same mistakes in the future. Um, if they find an egregious number of mistakes, 
um, you'll get called down to a field office and have a meeting with higher-ups the, within the ATF. I've never experienced this, so I'm not sure exactly how it works, but you need to develop a plan of action. Uh, normally, you hire an attorney to do this, and then your plan of action is prevent, presented to the ATF, and they can either approve or deny that, and you're either allowed to go about your business with that policy or program in place, or they'll revoke your license. Uh, so I think they're just stepping up what they're revoking people's licenses for and and either uh, requiring more for a, a plan of action to prevent those errors or or not taking those into account after a certain number of violations or errors. So, Dale, they're cracking down for, you know, dot, not dotting an I and crossing a T. It looks to the world like what they're really trying to do is just find any excuse to shut down gun retailers. That, that's the impression you get. And I suspect, you know, Graf's, Graf and Sons, has been in business for a long time. It's a big, you know, it's a huge organization. And I'm confident they've got their stuff together. And I suspect their errors are pretty rare. But, you know, for the average gun store, local, you know, I own a gun store. I have three employees. You know, just it's just us. Um, the burden is much greater. And in 20, so, you know, the news constantly talks about Biden administration having asked the ATF to implement a zero tolerance policy on law-breaking gun dealers. And I guess law-breaking gun dealers, uh, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of gun laws. If you, if you, uh, you know, don't fill out the 4473 properly, it's a violation of law. Anyway, in 2022, they reported that the ATF had revoked three times as many uh, licenses as they had in the past. In this year, so far, they've revoked 500% more federal firearms licenses. And they want more people to get an FFL because <laughs> they're selling their guns. It's insane. We'll come back with show and tell. We'll wrap that topic up as well, all on Gary and Guns.